Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Cryptid Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Cronkleton, and on behalf of the Tkolfost College Eagle Radio team, I'd like to welcome you back for our newest episode of the semester. <clears throat> this particular episode, um, this cryptid in question, you could say, uh, strikes very close to my home. Um, my ancestors, uh, being from Scotland, uh, where the Crunkleton name originates from, have had, uh, well, many famous uh, stories and iterations of a certain watery beast of a lock. I think you would all be familiar with today's topic, the Loch Ness Monster. Witnesses of the Loch Ness Monster tend to describe an animal with sleek, rubbery, blackish-gray skin, about 20 feet long. Nessie, as it's sometimes referred to as, usually has the serpentine body that is typical for sea serpents and lake monsters of medieval story. Furnished with humps along its length and one or more sets of paddles, or sometimes stumpy legs, Nessie's head is often described as roughly horse-shaped. It may or may not have a straggly mane running down its neck, and, well, some witnesses report small horns or a crest, especially those who see the Loch Ness Monster from close up. Sometimes, witnesses report a smaller, rounded, turtle-like head. The head is the one that seems to appear in most of the famous Nessie photos, as, well, that's where the monster seems to crest. I would describe the Loch Ness Monster, in my understanding, as something akin to a plesiosaur um, from a period of Jurassic time. I'm not sure which one, but if you were to uh, research and, and or Google an image of a plesiosaur, they would have this teardrop-shaped body, long trunk-like neck with a turtle's head almost, um, and long flippers beside uh, from growing up here in... Whether dinosaur or cryptid unknown creature, um, the sightings of Loch, of the Loch Ness Monster, uh, are as old as over, well, almost a thousand years. Um, they're not just as early as the black and white photo we uh, typically that comes to mind whenever we think of the Loch Ness Monster. In fact, the earliest report of a monster in the vicinity of Loch Ness appears in The Life of St. Columbia by Adaman. Written in the 6th century, so 565, according to Ottoman, uh, writing about a century after the events described, uh, Irish monk St. Columba was staying in the land of the Picts with his companions when he encountered local residents burying a man by the river Ness. They explained that the man was swimming in the river when he was attacked by a, quote, water beast that mauled him and dragged him underwater despite their attempts to rescue him by boat. Columba sent a follower, Luin Mokuming to swim across the river. The beast approached him, but Columba made the sign of the cross and said, Go no further, do not touch the man, go back at once. The creature stopped as if it had been, quote, pulled back with ropes and fled, and Columba's men and the pigs gave thanks to what they perceived as a miracle. Believers in the monster point to the story set in the river Ness rather than the lock itself as evidence for the creature's existence as early as the 6th century. Skeptics question the narrative's reliability 
noting that water beast stories were extremely common in medieval hagiographies. And Adaman's tale probably recycles a common motif attached to a local landmark. According to skeptics, Adaman's story may be independent of the modern Loch Ness monster legend and became attached to it by believers seeking to bolster their claims. Ronald Benz considers that, considers that this is the most serious of various alleged early sightings of the monster, but all other claimed sightings before 1933 are dubious and do not prove a monster tradition before that date. Christopher Kearney uses a specific historical and cultural analysis of Adaman to separate Adaman's story about St. Columba from the modern myth of the Loch Ness Monster, but finds an earlier and culturally significant use of Celtic water beast folklore along the way. In doing so, he also discredits any strong connection between Kelpies, or water horses, and the modern uh, media-augmented creation of the Loch Ness Monster. He also concludes that the story of St. Columba may have been impacted by earlier Irish myths about the Caranach and the Olifeist. To touch more on the Kelpies, um, before the Loch Ness Monster, back in medieval times, we had stories of these Kelpies, these shape-shifting water spirits or fairies, um, as you may be familiar, cryptid fan, uh, England and the English Isles have had a long history with the Feywild, fairies, gnomes, kobolds, imps, um, things of that nature. Uh, Kelpies are uh, in that group of family. They are said to be spirits that uh, hang around the rivers and waters and the locks, lakes and ponds, uh, shape-shifting and you know, they seem to be rather playful and emphatic spirits. Uh, however, some have been described as malicious, uh, even tempting humans to come play into the water dis disguised as beautiful women and things of that nature. Uh, however, our Loch Ness Monster has no such claims. He seems to have a clean record. Earlier, I had mentioned how uh, anything they had claimed before 1933 was more or less invalid, uh, how about we visit that sighting? The best known article that first attracted a great deal of attention about a creature was published on the 2nd of May 1933 in the Inverness Courier about a large beast or whale-like fish. The article by Alex Campbell, water bailiff for Loch Ness and a part-time journalist, discussed a sighting by Aldi McKay of an enormous creature with the body of a whale rolling in the water in the loch while she and her husband John were driving on the A82 highway on 15th of April 1933. The word monster was reportedly applied for the first time in Campbell's article. So here's where we get the Loch Ness Monster specifically. Although some reports claim that it was coined by editor Evan Barron. The Courier in 2017 published excerpts from the Campbell article, which had been titled Strange Spectacle of Loch Ness. An excerpt here. <clears throat> the creature disported itself, rolling and plunging for fully a minute, its body resembling that of a whale, and the water cascading and churning like a simmering cauldron. Soon, however, it disappeared into a boiling mass of foam. Both onlookers confessed that there was something uncanny about the whole thing, for they realized that there was no here was no ordinary denizen of the depths, because apart from its enormous size, the beast in question, in taking its final plunge, sent out waves that were big enough to have been caused by a passing steam. 
Now, according to a 2013 article, McKay said that she had yelled, Stop the Beast, when viewing the spectacle. In the late 1980s, a naturalist interviewed Aldie McKay, and she admitted to knowing that there had been an oral tradition of a beast in the lock well before her claim sighting. Alex Campbell's 1933 article also stated that, quote, Loch Ness has for generations been credited with being the home of a fearsome-looking monster. From that early on sighting where it starts to gain popularity, not one year later we get the picture. The surgeon's photograph, as it's deemed. The surgeon's photograph is reportedly the first photo of the creature's head and neck. You know, that one that's the blurry black and white picture of the water with the little S-shape black head and neck coming out. It's the famous, it's the Loch Ness Monster photo. Supposedly taken by Robert Kenneth Wilson, a London gynecologist, it was published in the Daily Mail on the 21st of April, 1934. Wilson's refusal to have his name associated with it led to it being known as the surgeon's photograph. According to Wilson, he was looking at the lock when he saw the monster, grabbed his camera, and snapped four photos. Only two exposures came out clearly. The first reportedly shows a small head and back, and the second shows a similar head in a diving position. The first photo became well-known, and the second attracted little publicity because of its blurriness. For 60 years, the photo was considered evidence of the monster's existence. Although skeptics dismissed it as driftwood, an elephant, an otter, or a bird, the photo's scale was controversial. It is often shown cropped, making the creature seem large and ripple like waves, while the uncropped shot shows the other end of the lock and the monster in the center. The ripples in the photo were found to fit the size and pattern of small ripples, rather than large waves photographed up close. Analysis of the original image fostered further doubt. In 1993, the makers of the Discovery Communications documentary Loch Ness Discovered analyzed the object that was being analyzed the uncropped image and found a white object visible in every version of the photo, implying that it was on the negative. It was believed to be the cause of the ripples, as if the object, object was being towed, although the possibility of a blemish on the negative could not be ruled out. An analysis of the full photograph indicated that the object was small, about 60 to 90 centimeters long. Since 1994, most agree that the photo was an elaborate hoax. It had been described as a fake in 7th December 1975 Sunday Telegraph article that fell into obscurity. Details on how the photo was taken were published in the 1990 book, 1999 book Nessie, The Surgeon's Photograph Exposed, which contains a facsimile of the 1975 Sunday Telegraph article. Uh, the creature was reportedly a toy submarine built by Christian Sperling, the son-in-law of Marmaduke Wetherill. Wetherill had been publicly ridiculed by his employer, the Daily Mail, after he found, quote, Nessie footprints that turned out to be a hoax. To get revenge on the mail, Wetherill perpetrated his a hoax with co-conspirators Sperling, the sculpture specialist, Ian Wetherill, his son who bought the material for the fake, and Maurice Chambers, an insurance agent. The toy submarine was bought from F.W. Woolworths, and its head and neck were made from wood putty. After testing it in the local pond, the group went to Loch Ness, where Ian Wetherill took the photos near the Altsay Tea House. When they heard a waiter water bailiff approaching, Duke Wetherill sank the model with his foot, and it is presumably still somewhere in Loch Ness. Chambers gave the photographic plates to Wilson, a friend of his who enjoyed, quote, a good practical joke. 
Wilson brought the plates to Ogston's and an Inverness chemist and gave them to George Morrison for development. He sold the first photo to the Daily Mail, who then announced that the monster had been photographed. Pretty disheartening on the question of whether to believe the Loch Ness Monster is real or not based on uh, the evidence we have so far. I mean, the hallmark picture of the Loch Ness Monster essentially agreed upon to be fake and a hoax. That doesn't start us off too well. However, the thousand years almost of sightings gives us some credibility or at least something to work with. But I should ask, if this is fake or a hoax, in what way is it fake or a hoax? Was just the image a hoax and that there could be a Loch Ness out there? Or a monster in Loch Ness? Is the Loch Ness monster a hoax and there's actually nothing out there? Is it a cryptid or perhaps a long, long living breed of dinosaur or species of dinosaur? I mean, we do have alligators. They haven't changed much since the, their Jurassic time. It's possible that, you know, some scientists theorize even that a type of bacillosaur or plesiosaur uh, lineage could have lived thousands of years deep in the oceans where the Ice Age did not reach. Now, we know a dinosaur could be a far fetch, but the descriptions seem to line up pretty well. Long flippers, trunk-like neck, turtle head, I mean, Plesiosaur and Bacillosaur fit that. But there's, of course, some more modern and realistic uh, explanations for what we have. People and scientists and fans and whatnot have speculated bird wakes, eels, Greenland sharks, could be Welsh catfish, as they do seem to grow rather large. Um, could be wakes off of boats, and people are just misinterpreting them. It could be things like trees in the water that have fallen, or when the water received a tree that has uh, been banked offshore. Of course, it doesn't help when there's been a myriad of absolute hoax attempts over the years. Ever since the discovery of the surgeon's photograph, not only have earnest hunters like you and I been out there, but there have been plenty of hoaxers as well trying to get either a quick uh, scammed buck off of uh, media attention or genuine uh, enjoyment out of misinterpretation and misguidance of a population. We have two heavy sides of the option here. On one side we have almost a thousand years worth of sightings, folklore, uh, word of mouth, and almost deeply woven, almost integral cultural significance to this Loch Ness Monster. This large whale fish beast that resides in the Scottish Loch. But there have also been a myriad in the past century of hoaxes and negative media attention as well as positive media attention and research. What do we believe? I say that, you know, the Scottish people are my ancestors. Um, but am I directly connected to their culture? No. Um, do I have any, um, do I have any experience firsthand to speak on? Absolutely not. I would love to hear what some of these Scottish uh, patrons or listeners have to say. 
Um, about what they believe if they've ever visited the rock and heard some of the oral tr stories and traditions that have kept it alive for so long. For this Loch Ness Monster, what does it mean if it was real or wasn't real? Well, if it wasn't real, well, just like any other cryptic creature, it's fun to believe. It's nice to believe. But if it is, wasn't well, that just fun? Some large whale-like creature living in a pond. How did it get there? What can it do? What is it capable of? Is it intelligent? Have we seen what it can do? You know, in all the research I've done, there's has only been that first sighting that seemed slightly malicious. All the other ones seem rather peaceful and in passing of the monster. It's almost like it's not a monster at all. But anyway, as with all these cryptids, folklores, and uh, ancestral stories, you are all the judge. I encourage you all to do your own research and have fun, just like we all enjoy doing our own research. And, uh, this is the topic we all know and love. I really appreciate you joining me on a, uh, a special topic from uh, that pertains to me. And uh, it was very fun researching this and getting to reconnect with uh, well, the areas and stories that my ancestors told. On behalf of Tacoa Falls College Eagle Radio Team, this is your host, Justin Crunkleton. I'll see you next time.